Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Thomas Kim. He's the CEO at Infusion. Thomas, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm very well. Yourself? I'm great. Great. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show today. I'm selfishly really fascinated by what you guys are doing at Infusion, but maybe before we get into that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Sure. Uh, I grew up in uh, right outside of Washington, D.C., uh, nice. in Baltimore. Uh, my parents moved to the United States when I was four. Okay, uh, I cool. still have this awesome picture of, of me, my older brother, my parents uh, uh, getting off the airport in JFK. Uh, and, you know, my brother, he's 10 years older than I. So he was 14. Okay. And so he had this military haircut. And I, you know, I, I tease him to this day about it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I've been in the United States since uh, uh, since about four. Um, I grew up in Washington area. I went to went to school uh, in the Washington area. Uh, went to university in the Washington area, American University. Um, what did you take and why? Sorry to cut you off. Uh, so uh, I, so I, 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 I studied. Um, uh, business and I think foreign affairs. Um, okay. Being in Washington D.C., being um, around uh, so many politicians and uh, and government, it was a very natural thing uh, to to soak in. And American University has strong ties into sort of the foreign affairs, and so it was a bit of a gift uh, to to be able to study that. But my heart was always in in business, investment banking, capital markets. And so it gave me an opportunity to blend both of those things, which then ultimately allowed me to move to New York, where, or I think I lived in, in the city for about 13 odd years. Interesting. What got you interested in finance at such an early age? Well, um, you know, my parents, uh, having been sort of serial entrepreneurs, um, having to to build things from scratch coming to the United States. It was something right. that's been near and dear, you know, to me watching, you know, both of my parents go through that. It's it's something that's been very second nature to me in terms of building things. And and you know, having a, a flair for business and finance became kind of natural for me in terms of of where I would see myself going. Um, it wasn't until I got to New York where you know, finance is such a broad thing that you can do so much with it. It wasn't until uh, I got to New York and got involved in fintech that building really cool things using technology became a real passion. And uh, all the perseverance that came along with learning from how my parents built businesses from scratch uh, became a real asset as I thought about, you know, building my own things uh, within the fintech, in the fintech space. Very cool. So walk us through your career up until Infusion, and then let's dive into that. Sure. So 
let's see. While I was at Washington, when I when I graduated university, I, I, I was pretty fortunate to get a job at the uh, Investment Company Institute, which is a big mutual fund lobbying firm, uh, okay. which, which was a lot of fun, which a lot of fun. Um, like I said, I wanted to move to New York uh, to 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 get into investment banking. And when I got here, I couldn't find a job to save my life. Um, and so it was so competitive and so demanding and it was such a mold of what uh, uh, the bulge bracket investment banks were looking for and I didn't fit any of that. And so I almost had to reinvent myself from, from scratch uh, in New York. Um, I can still remember um, just trying to get by, um, trying to get jobs uh, where no one was willing to, to hire sort of my background and, and the education that, that I got until eventually just through perseverance, I eventually got a job uh, at ADP, uh, which is the big, um, you know, uh, Czech uh, juggernaut in terms of uh, payroll. And it turns out that they were looking to do a bunch of acquisitions in the front office. And I got the best of both worlds, which was uh, investment banking around just acquiring companies and fintech at the same time, which then just blew my mind in terms of what cool things that were going on uh, in what we fancifully call fintech. Back then it was it was just financial service widgets. Right. Um, and it just there was so many cool things going around, you know, the electronification of trading and, you know, how the capital markets was evolving, you know, market data, retail investing, all of these things were booming and changing the the paradigm and it was just such a gift to be a part of it that that you know i i i just immersed myself into it through adp uh we acquired this company called uh marin financial which was one of the first institutional order management systems that were that was out there and then just like any big business adp decided after a, a regime change that they basically didn't want to be in the front office and that 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 payroll was their was their cash cow and why would we you know why would we deviate from that and and so we ended up selling all these companies which then in turn gave me more exposure to you know the front office and uh, and so we sold marin financial to a, a smaller company called mcgregor um, and uh, I went along with that to help build McGregor out. Then we sold McGregor to ITG, which then in turn got bought by Virtu. Um, and so long history of, of, of things that went on there. But eventually I found myself uh, working for Lehman Brothers all the way up to its demise. Um, and my job at that time was basically to be a part of a team that was going to help um, Lehman Brothers build out its electronic trading franchise and uh, we were successful in doing that. I was part of a team that acquired a company called Townsend Analytics in Chicago uh, that was uh, the technology behind Archipelago uh, which merged with the New York Stock Exchange and helped the New York Stock Exchange basically get current. Um, and then Lehman, then Lehman Brothers collapsed um, and I was in Chicago, by the way, for four years uh, for that. And so Lehman Brothers collapsed and then an opportunity to be the CEO of an electronic agency broker dealer, uh, funnily enough, uh, out of L.A., Burbank, California. Uh, I, I, I went there to, to, to be its CEO, uh, basically trying to help 
um, reestablished the company because right after Lehman Brothers collapsed, uh, small agency broker dealers were struggling to stay alive. And so this was an asset that was that was owned in part by Goldman Sachs. And so I sort of went in there to try and figure out what to do with it. Eventually, uh, it got sold to Deutsche Bank. Okay. And I was in LA for about four years. I've had a child, I should say, in every state I've lived in. Um, and and so uh, when we sold that, I was kind of on the beach. And then um, uh, uh, some folks over at Bridgewater called. And they were looking to do some interesting things and thought that I might be able to help with some of that. And so uh, I ended up at Bridgewater for about seven years, where in the end I was the chief operating officer for the investment engine there. And then seven years after that, uh, I decided that I wanted to get back into fintech and start to build things and um, uh, knew of Infusion greatly and uh, you know uh, was a, a huge fan of theirs and then eventually had some conversations and, and ultimately took the seat as its CEO. So it's a long-winded sort of a journey uh, of Very sort cool. of my career. Oh, very cool. So walk us through what Infusion does and how it's kind of evolved just since you've been there. Infusion is, is an amazing company. I don't say that because I'm its CEO, though I, I have a perspective. It is changing the landscape of the investment management community broadly across the world. And what I mean by that is it's a pretty complicated space. It's got a lot of complicated problems, but Infusion is the, is the only cloud native software as a service front, middle and back offering that is giving the broader investment management industry the flexibility to really solve their biggest technology and business problems in a quality way in a in a you know through a framework and an ecosystem that's current and relevant and that's a mouthful but effectively what it means is is that through the cloud through multi-tenancy um we're able to more, more, uh, what's the word? In a, in a much relevant way, offer a framework that can solve their problems through technology as its partner, right? And so throw away sort of the big heavy footprint that these things require and offer something much more nimble uh, and much more capable um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an extremely fast way. Uh, and this is something that the industry is not used to and we're, we're pretty much taking it by storm. Very cool. So do you maybe want to give us some examples and the different verticals that people can leverage your technology in? Yeah. And so, and so think about it, you know, we have one solution with, with several systems within it that were designed for the cloud and built in such a way that it's not been Frankenstein together as an afterthought. And what I mean by that is that the systems are broken off by, by three core components, three or four components. One is the order management system, which allows um, you know, CIOs, portfolio managers to construct portfolios, do analysis, do compliance, basically figure out what they want their portfolios to look like and to stress test those portfolios in different ways. That's the order management system. Okay. We also have the execution management system, 
you know, intertwined into the overall solution and think of that like the trader's cockpit. And so if the CIO and the portfolio managers are thinking about what their portfolios need to be and what, what, you know, what the strategies behind them are, are aimed to achieve, the execution management system or the EMS is the, you know, now, now as the traders, I know what my CIO and PMs want, now I will go trade that with the market, right? Buy and sell okay. securities. And then there is the, 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 the uh, accounting piece uh, which is basically now, now that I've done all these things, now that I've modeled my portfolios and I've trade, now I need to reconcile all those things that I've done in the course of the day and be able to, to make sure that all my books and records are correct and that when I send out my investor reports, everything is, is clear and transparent and accurate and, and, and institutional, right? And so right. we are the only sort of technology company today that provides all of that such that you know all of those things can be done on one screen underpinned by one data set delivered on the cloud natively you know and that may right. be a bit of a mouthful but the devil's in the details in terms of what that means is is that you know within those verticals whether you choose to use them individually or collectively we are making the delivery of that, the, the adoption of that, um, and the navigation of all of that seamless because all of that has been built for the purposes of working together, all simplified in one data, uh, data set so that the workflows within those things, whether it's within each vertical or traversing across the different systems, super easy. Right. And so that allows our investment management partners and clients to basically focus on their business, which is generating alpha, whether that's active or passive, but, but ultimately generate bigger returns for their very clients that they, you know, that they take money from. And then allow us to basically offer and innovate technology that basically helps them achieve their business better so that they can focus on the business we can focus on the technology and it's basically one plus one equals three got you okay so are you guys building software for fund managers or, or what type of people can i use it personally or it's usually i work for a company and i'm investing for multiple people how does that kind of work that's a great question. So our clients tend to be uh, everyone on the alternative investment management space and the institutional investment management space. And so when you break those things down, hedge funds, family offices, private equity uh, on the alternative side and growing. Um, and on the institutional side, you've got traditional asset managers, uh, foundations, pension plans, sovereigns, uh, even insurance companies and corporates. Uh, that are using the system. We don't have yet uh, a retail, uh, you know, user, though that's something that, that could be made available, you know, in the future. You know, swimming downstream is infinitely easier than swimming upstream in terms yep. of technology. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, very cool. So do you guys, what's your thoughts around kind of, uh, cryptocurrencies. Do you guys handle that? What are your thoughts on that? And and like, how does that kind of play into this, or does it not play in at all? 
No, so cryptocurrency to us, from a technology perspective, is no different than you know equities or fixed. It's an asset class. Okay. Right? It's it's an instrument, and and so we treat it the same way. And so uh, and so as cryptocurrencies um, or even stable coins or or you know or you know central bank digital currency, as these things grow over time and become uh, you know, more of a, uh, an asset within a portfolio that, that our clients need to interact with. To us, it's just a different shade of color. Uh, we'll, make the, we'll make the ability for people to manage and, uh, and trade these things seamlessly within, within the platform. Um, and, so, and so fairly straightforward for us. Got you. Okay. So you've been a, a remote CEO for the pandemic and you guys have a global workforce. Do you maybe want to give people some learnings, I guess, and feedback and thoughts around what you learned by doing that and being remote and what do you think worked well and what do you think we really need to work on? Well, I mean, I, I, I'll be very brutally honest. I, I could have never imagined becoming a new CEO of a global company literally days before the universe shut down. Wow. Um, I mean, I had basically met, I want to say, less than a dozen people in person before taking over, uh, you know, uh, as the CEO of Infusion. Interesting. And it, it was, there was a fair amount of anxiety and angst uh, because I was thinking about everything from onboarding into the seat well, but at the same time trying to navigate a global pandemic that I was expecting the worst and hoping for the best in terms of, you know, where where will the business go based on sort of the macro disposition that was taking place across the world? And so that I, I just make a giant mistake, uh, you know, in taking on, uh, you know, forget about infusion, but taking on a new job uh, at a time where the world, you know, didn't really know what tomorrow was going to look like. And, and so, so, so safe to say I was pretty nervous uh, about the whole thing. Um, but but as we sort of stepped through it, there was just so many learnings that came out of of what's important to a community and culture. Uh, it's amazing when you know we've been remote for fifteen months, and uh, and we're for 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 you know we're we're pretty much uh, remote still today, and still trying to navigate how we're going to bring the community back together in a in a physical sense. And so so the pandemic is just been an eye opener on how important culture is, how important community is. Uh, really, it, it, it brought me down to the core of like leadership in terms of what real leadership looks like when, when, when people are, are themselves struggling with how to cope with, with, with life in this new normal. And so things like compassion and empathy, inspiration, Things that you kind of take a little bit for granted when when you're sitting across from someone because they can, in many ways, they can they can extract some of these things from you just by 
the meaningful interactions of sitting across from one another. Well, guess what? When you're trying to do it remotely through Zoom, it's kind of hard. Yeah. Um, and, and you really have to be deliberate on these things. You can't just, they can't be an afterthought. And so, and so it really taught me how to, how to realign some of these things and to really listen to, to, to the community to figure out, you know, where they were struggling to see how I could help them through that. And uh, it, it's been a real humbling experience for me on, on so many levels. I, I've got so many things to talk about. You know, you, you kind of have to direct me in, you know, what sure. you're most interested in. So I guess like how did you make sure you kept up the culture and supported the people that really needed support and almost at the same time maybe let people that didn't need as much support just kind of do their thing but still check in on them periodically to make sure they're still good? So I had to fail before I got it needled into a better place. And so okay. – I made a promise to the community that culture um, and you know our people that I would safeguard that and that would be my number one priority and 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 personally that that never changed or wavered. The challenge that we had was that during a global pandemic, you know, in two thousand and twenty, we hired like three hundred people. Wow! And and this year alone, we hired like another. I don't know, hundred plus people, um, and so and so. What had happened was first there was my promise and commitment. Then there was just a lot of new people that we brought on. We 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 basically hired more people than than the people that I inherited when I landed, and and with that came complexities of every new manager, every new individual trying to assimilate into an environment that they never really met anyone and everyone they were meeting was through zoom and so a lot of things broke though we were very successful in hiring um you know uh, integrating those people into our community and our culture well, a lot of things broke and and in that breakage you know there was this underlying failure on my part as a leader to safeguard the very thing that I said that I would do, which is the culture, our, our people, and and I almost had to to go through that to witness all the breakage breakages to to realize, man, you know we need to do this differently, and so so very quickly, you know we got into big communities of forums, and started talking about what was working and what wasn't and. And really, the pieces that we learned what wasn't working was just the, the bringing people together, talking about the changes and the transformations that were going on all remotely, um, and and how I needed to do a better job uh, bringing people together and 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 helping them navigate through all these changes that were happening at the same time. This is all new. I mean. I thought I was doing that pretty well in terms of the amount of time and care I was spending, and then I realized it wasn't nearly enough. And and so you really had to go farther in all the things that I mentioned around empathy and compassion and inspiration, transparency, making people feel that uh, that the core fabric of meritocracy and and how people can can you know bring their ideas to the fold and how those things can be evaluated and discussed and, and ultimately used to make the company better, 
not so easy when you're doing it remotely with people you don't even know. Yep. And it, but how did you get your the employees that you were had been at the company and the new employees comfortable enough to actually share the genuine feedback with you of the things that were working and more importantly the things that weren't working because I know a lot of CEOs or upper management really struggle with with that and getting that much trust from their employees to give them that the negative feedback when it's needed. I think the authenticity is the thing that I think matters the most. And so, you know, alongside of that, just sort of the common respect of you're dealing with with partners, adults, people that are that that are all trying to achieve the same goals. And so and so for me, it was about trying to establish an environment starting from myself of creating this authenticity and this genuineness of, of, of I didn't get everything right during the, the pandemic, um, you know, and I have my learnings and, and I, you know, and my sincere apologies for, for not getting those things right that I should have and, and, and resetting with that. So, so almost, you know, putting myself in a situation that is uncomfortable for any CEO coming out and basically saying, hey, I screwed things up and, and, and I'm admitting to it and here are all the things that I think I've screwed up and is, you know, let's work together to figure out how we're going to get this thing to the right place because our overall business is thriving and growing and that in, in itself is what's causing some of this breakage that's happening along the way. And so starting from that place and, and having real conversations with droves of people located across the world, showing that level of authenticity allowed them to open themselves up. Um, and I don't think that was ever easy, but it, it has to start somewhere. But once we got it going, and we still have more work to do, but once we got it going, I felt like we were all able to come down to the level that everyone felt comfortable and common to then start to have discussions on what can we do together to make this better? And what can we do together? Because it's not over. We're still navigating through this. Sure. Right? Um, and mind you, you know, we're dealing with some individuals as, you know, and it's been horrible. They've lost loved ones, uh, oh, whether yeah. directly in their family or in their community, and they're and they're trying to figure out how to move forward. And so, to think that you can just step through this in the old sort of legacy ways of just let's get into a room and let's have a you know a topical discussion, it doesn't work. It certainly doesn't breed and trust. Uh, you know, breed and instill trust. No, totally. That no, that's that's very cool. That you actually cared enough to do that. Cause I, I think a lot of people either there for a number of reasons, some good, some bad aren't willing to do that. Right. And, and so that's, that's very cool that you're, you, you're on the path of, of fixing all the issues that, well, nobody's really been through, right? Like, you know, there's no, there's not a lot of people still alive that ha that were in the pandemic from, you know, like a hundred plus years ago. So, you know, it's interesting, right. How, how that's playing out. Um, but, but I'm curious to get your thoughts on AI and technology in, in the financial space. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. In my experience with, with the space, 
it seems like fintech or the financial industry is one of the last industries to kind of adopt technology. Maybe once they do, then it, it kind of speeds up, but they seem to kind of be a little bit late to the technology party. And so what are your thoughts around that? And where do you see the future of the space going with AI, machine learning, and all the other kind of crazy technology and cool technology that I think the fintech space could really, really leverage? So I, I don't discriminate between the different types of technologies per se. Okay. Uh, what, I, what I can say is that within the capital markets and more specifically within the investment management community, I think that technology more broadly has, has been evolving and has gotten to the point where, you know, more broadly speaking, no one is able to manage their business without technology being both a major component of their overall business strategy yep. um, and a partner in the day-to-day -day problem solving and decision making. And so I think gone are the days where you know, you've got really, really incredibly talented business people and then technology that's enabling you know, the business in the background quietly, you know, where 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 the business ideas are, you know, generating all of the acclaim. I think in today's, you know, business world, you really can't generate great business ideas without technology helping to do that generation. Um, and I think this shift and change that that has been going on now for for quite some time as a result of now all the things that you mentioned in terms of cloud computing artificial intelligence uh you know massive data analysis um i think that that within the investment management community which has been much slower to adopt a lot of these innovations that have taken place in the market i think it's it's now gotten to the point where where these these some of these things have matured at such a place where it can be relied on with the investment management community or the capital markets community where technology is 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 helping to make uh, real investment decisions that impact you know performance and so as you can imagine you know we're talking about large chunks of money when you pull them together or even individually and so you know the last thing that you want is technology by itself running amok making these decisions right. and and when you do have these situations you want to have these things mature enough such that you can trust that they can do these things responsibly and so so naturally it's going to take technology who you know in a mission critical state like that to get to a place where it can be relied on i think it's now getting to that place where more and more of it can be relied on as such the the space is just evolving at such a faster pace where where things like what Infusion is doing is is helping to you know you know uh, we're doing our part in transforming the overall landscape by offering those capabilities so that so that investment managers can really do that, which is make faster investment decisions better. Got you. So, how do you guys decide what new features and functionality, and whether to maybe leverage some? AI or machine learning or both or, or whatever into the product to make sure you keep your current customers happy 
as well as recruit new customers. Yep. Philosophically, we're not in the business of building widgets, meaning, okay. meaning, you know, go out there and attach to the biggest, brightest, shiny object thing going on in the moment. And then, you know, go build something related to that and then go try and sell it and look for problems. We, we actually do it the other way around, which is, you know, we've got 600 plus clients across the world. Um, and what we do with them is we listen to them. We understand them. We understand their businesses. They're complex. And we try to build capabilities that directly solve those problems that they currently have in a very you know, relevant and practical sort of a way. It's through solving for those problems that we, we then in turn enrich our ecosystem um, and our solutions, which then in turns uh, fuels other uh, prospects who aren't clients to want it. Not because they're the shiny object in the room, because it's being used to solve you know, hedge funds problem, institutional asset managers problems. It's, it's being used to solve all these problems that they historically have either not been able to solve or it's just been so expensive to solve those things that they just decided to work around it. And so, and so, so we approach our product innovation uh, driven in a way that it's most relevant to our clients and it's through that we just get more and our businesses even during a year of a pandemic has just been you know booming in, in many ways as a result of, of of how we approach you know our innovation interesting actually I, I love that answer because and I've been guilty of um, myself is at the end of the day and you can correct me well you can tell me if you agree with this or not at the end of the day users really don't care how cool the technology is or the background or if you're using the latest and greatest, whatever. They just want it to solve a real problem for them. And when they click the button or, or do some interaction, it actually gives them what they're expecting. And it doesn't, they don't care if it's big data, machine learning, AI to get that when they hit that button. But if it doesn't show them what they wanna see, and it doesn't really solve the, a real business problem for them, they don't care about the latest and greatest shiny thing for the most part. Do you agree or what are your thoughts around that? Absolutely, especially when, when, when industries, generally speaking, or participants in industries bastardize you yeah. know, some, some of these words, right? Like, like how long have we been hearing about artificial intelligence? I'm willing to bet that a large portion of my industry doesn't even really know truly what artificial intelligence means within our sure. community, right? Um, and so they throw these things around, even like you know, cloud computing or 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 just generally speaking, the cloud, right? Yeah. These things, these words get thrown around, um, and people attach to them for I think all the for the right intentions yeah no one is no, i would say no one i would say generally speaking you know the the broader population doesn't really know how they would want to use it which is the reason why firms like infusion have a responsibility right and yeah. so 
So we have a responsibility to our clients and we believe to our community, to the investment management community, to do more than just throw around big words and attach to the next big thing that, that we think just because we attach to it is gonna get us clients. Honestly, we, we have a lot of clients and our clients are growing not because of that, but because of real substance. Right. And, and so, so every innovation that we do and, and everything that we think about deliberately is focused around you know, first the problem, then how we can help solve those problems. And then, yes, based on innovations that are around us, you know, how can we put some of these innovations to use to go solve those problems? Absolutely. Right. But never the other way around, because I think it's very short sighted and it's also very shallow. Uh, no, I 100 percent agree. I, I think it's actually really quite fascinating that you guys have this approach because I think so many tech companies, especially young companies get so wrapped up in trying to be the coolest and have the most features and the most latest features and integrate with everything. And sometimes that makes a lot of sense. And sometimes you really need that. But in a lot of cases, specifically in certain verticals, that approach is going to be, a lot harder to be successful in my experience anyway it sounds like you would agree with me and and i think that's really good advice for people listening that are starting out or, or maybe struggling in in a vertical at whether in a fintech space or other spaces it's like are you really solving a problem for your customers or your potential customers and let me tell you this particular topic isn't divorced from the previous topic around culture um, right. and you know and and community way of being um, they're all interconnected with each other and so and so when you think about the interconnectedness of our goals both from a community and from a business perspective you know our community of folks uh, across the world is growing with a set of people that really want to have impact to the clients that they partner up with on every single ba basis. And, and so for them, their way of being is around how can I add value? How can I solve, you know, the very people who are entrusting in us, you know, their time and their, you know, their, their operations, how can we help them resolve their pain that they're going through in their operations or in you know the business goals that they're trying to achieve when we hire people we're only looking to hire people who have the desire and the capabilities to want to go do more of that that directly ties into you know the mix of the types of people we have uh what we're trying to build that cascades into our relationships with our clients and our partners like all these things are intertwined together because it's com it's complex. If you look at it from our client's perspective, they're dealing in most instances, they're dealing with, as an example, technology that they may have been carrying and building around and not having advanced, maybe because it just hasn't been available to them. And so I call this thing tech debt, where they're just, increasing the amount of tech that they that debt that they have in their organization and it's just not evolving and so it's kind of like you know that that old car that you have that you can't get rid of 
but you've had it for so long and it's gone through so many dents and and repairs that it starts to not even look like the very car that you bought you know 20 years ago right and and for whatever reason you can't get rid of it because your life sort of centers around it and quite frankly nothing better has come up at least this thing kind of works but it's really expensive to maintain and so for us technology anything that we introduce to the market has to be thought of improving that, whether by, by giving them an opportunity to remove pieces of that out in parts or in whole, um, but making that disposition better. And, and that you can't just all of a sudden overnight just click your fingers and say, you know, that's what we're going to do. It takes a community of people who think that way and a technology that gives you the ability to go and deliver that. Without those things working hand in hand, you're kind of more of a, a shallow offering, if that makes sense. No, totally. Well, and the other thing too is you don't want to create your own tech 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 debt as well, right? Because right. you've been you guys have been around for a number of years now. And you know, there's obviously some legacy stuff that's probably early on that's still in the product that may be great, may need some love, and you don't wanna keep adding to that, right? Totally. And we're in a really interesting situation. It's either either through extreme amazing foresight or extreme amazing luck. Um, you know, when when the three uh, founders, Tarek Hamoud, uh, Stephen Mallerb, and Scott Werner, founded and seeded Infusion, I think it was in 2006. It started in 1996, but in 2006, they really seeded it. In 2006, the cloud wasn't really quite the cloud that it is right. today, right? And so think about what they've built from the beginning that was so forward thinking that, that it created the foundation for us to be thinking constantly forward thinking. And so none of the stuff that we have at this moment in time are legacy because we were just so far ahead of, of where the market and the technology that was available to the market was back then that we still find ourselves ahead. And so, so this is embedded in the fabric of our DNA where we're constantly thinking about, okay, in light of the problems that we're looking to help solve, you know, how can we continue to press the needle on, on solving those problems in a much more efficient, technologically driven way that, again, continues to add value and lessens the burden associated with tech debt and that we're not adding to that tech debt along the way. Interesting. No, that's, that's really, that's really quite fascinating, but we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself, uh, the company and any other links you want to mention? Um, you know, I think the, the best place is we have our website is, is, is really good at www.infusion.com. Um, is a great starting place, um, but uh, but uh, yeah, that that would probably be the the place that I would start, and and from there, there's a lot of telephone numbers and emails that people can use to reach out uh, to us and uh, hopefully start a discussion. Perfect, Thomas. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. Thanks so much. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Okay, bye. 
Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com.